0: Music Room, by Tara Shankar Bandopadhyay. As was his habit, Bishwambhar Roy was pacing on the terrace after waking up at three a.m. Ananta, the aged retainer, laid out the carpet, cushion, and bolster, and went downstairs to fetch the hookah and tobacco. Bishwambhar glanced at the arrangement but did not sit down, continuing to walk to and fro as before. His head bent. Not very far away, beneath the Kali temple belonging to the Roy's, the Ganga flowed by in a thin, clear stream. Venus sparkled brightly in the southwestern sky. It seemed to be in competition with a particularly powerful electric light shining unblinkingly from the roof of the neighbouring Ganguly mansion. They were the Novarish of the area. The clock on their roof struck three now. For two hundred years, the only clock in this area that had rung out the hours was in the Roy residence. But it had fallen silent. These days, habit and the murmuring of pigeons were what woke Vishwambhar Babu up. They began their cooing as soon as Venus was visible in the sky. A sweet fragrance wafted in with the breeze at dawn. Spring no longer arrived with pomp and ceremony at the Roy's home. Nor did the family have the means to lay out expensive gifts at its feet anymore. The flowers in the garden had shriveled from lack of care. Only a few trees remained. Muchkunda, Bokul, Nageshwar, Jampa. Like the family, they had no branches either and were as withered as this palace with enormous cracks in its walls. Indeed, cavities had appeared within the trunks of some of the trees. Who knew whether it was spring that had tried to show itself on the edges of the worn-out branches, or whether it was the branches that tried to capture spring? A horse neighed in the stable. Setting the bowl of tobacco on the hookah, Ananta said, "Huzur." Startled out of his reverie, Bishwambar said, Hmm. As soon as he lowered himself onto the carpet, Ananta offered him the pipe. The horse neighed again downstairs. Drawing gently on the pipe, Bishwambar Babu said, The Muchkunda flowers have begun to blossom. Add them to my shorebirth tomorrow. Ananta said diffidently. The petals aren't ripe yet. The horse was neighing impatiently in the stable. Sighing, Roy said with a trace of pique, Is that blasted Nithai sleeping like the dead because he's getting older? Go call him. Tufan is restless. Can't you hear him? Tufan was the name of the horse. The only survivor in the nine stables in the Roy residence. The aged Tufan had been the indomitable mount of Bishwambar Roy in the prime of his life twenty-five years ago. In those days, not just in those days, even two years ago, Travelers on the imperial road would ask the locals when they saw the large, fair skinned man with a magnificent turban on his head seated astride the gigantic white horse, Who is he? People would answer, He is our ruler, Bishwambar Roy, a famous hunter. He shoots tigers for sport. Raising his eyes reverentially, the stranger would watch as the white horse disappeared into the distance with its rider. Only a spiral of dust would be visible, a tornado hurtling towards the horizon to merge with it. The unconquerable Tufan would gallop off with Bishwamba Roy at dawn every day. Two years ago, when the Gangulys, Traders by profession announced their new status of landowner in every village with great fanfare. Roy had stopped riding Tufan. Since then, it had been Netai, the stable hand, who led him by the reins along the roads. Tara Prasanna, the manager of the estate, had said one day, Won't your health suffer if you give up such a long standing practice? The look in Bishwambar's eyes stopped him from going any further. Roy had given just a two-word answer. Shame, Tara Prasanna. Ananta was about to go downstairs. Bishwambar called him back. Ananta! He turned. Roy said, Netai was saying Tufan isn't getting his feed properly. Ananta said, it has not been a good season for chickpeas. So Naib Babu said, Hmm. After a few drags on his hookah, he said, Has Tufan become very thin? Ananta said softly. No, not really. Hmm. A little later, he said, Give him his entire feed, all right? Tell Naib I told him. Go now and send Nethai to me. Ananta left. Leaning back on his bolster, Vishwambhar lifted his eyes to the sky. The pipe lay next to him. The stars were going out one by one. Vishwambhar began to rub his broad chest absently. One, two... These were the very ribs he had injured the first time he had tried to ride Tufan. What an animal Tufan had been that day. Such spirit! He would calm down only at the sound of music. When there was music, he never set a foot out of rhythm. How he danced, arcing his neck! Bishwambhar Babu rose to his feet. Like constellation of stars that paled in the dazzling light of the sun, memories from the past were overshadowed by the glory of the Roy dynasty. The brightest star of these memories was Tufan, who dazzled in the sky tonight. It had been two years since Bishwambar Babu had been downstairs. Today, he felt an urge to see Tufan. Slipping his feet into his wooden clogs, Roy descended to the first floor. The long and wide veranda of the pillared mansion resounded to the ringing sound of his footsteps. Startled from their little cubby holes atop the arches in the veranda, several bats flew away, flapping their wings. More bats could be heard inside the locked rooms on the other side. The storage room for mattresses and pillows was next to the staircase leading to the roof. Bits of cotton were strewn on the floor. This was followed by the storage room for sheets, carpets and cushions from which a stench emanated, as some of its contents must have rotted away. In the next room, there was a ringing sound along with the beating of wings. Lamps were stacked in here. The Belgian glass chandeliers may have been swaying. The room after this one, in the corner, was also for the mattresses and bedding for different bedrooms. It was empty now. Roy turned eastwards. This was the section for leaseholders. There were many rich and influential leaseholders in different districts under the Roys. The number of them who paid taxes ranging from 500 to 5,000 rupees was not insignificant. They stayed here during their visits to the estate. Large paintings hung on the veranda walls. Roy raised his face to look at them. The first one had no painting or glass, only a frame. The second had no glass. The space for the third was vacant. Sighing, Roy resumed walking. His head bowed. The pigeons murmured incessantly on the rafters overhead. The staircase going down was at the end of the east veranda. Roy went downstairs. He was here for the first time in two years. The records rooms were piled high with documents. It was a history of the seven Roys. Bishwambar Roy belonged to the seventh generation of Zamindars. He smiled faintly in the darkness, recalling the founder of the family, who was believed to have said, You need the grace of Saraswati if you want to bind down Lakshmi. Ink scrolls on paper make for shackles very difficult to break. Make sure to keep the chains of your accounts in perfect shape so that the fickle goddess has no opportunity to escape. He used to be the Nawab's land revenues officer. Paper, pen and ink still remained. But Lakshmi had vanished. A dog lying in the darkness of the veranda began to howl. Roy proceeded on his way without paying attention to it. The dog stopped barking and wagging its tail. It began to accompany Roy as he made his rounds. No one had taken it in as a pet. It must have been a descendant of one of the dogs that had once lived on leftovers here. Beyond the entrance to the office lay a cowshed to the right and the stables to the left. Further along the road was the shrine to the deities. Roy called out, "Netai." a voice answered reverentially, Huzoor! The response was buried beneath Tufan's loud neighing. An elephant was heard trumpeting from the other side. Roy went up to the aged Tufan, who stamped his hoof impatiently, as excited as a child. Caressing his face, Roy murmured, My boy! Tufan rubbed his head against his master's hand. Meanwhile, the elephant had grown impatient too. Calling constantly and trying to break free of the shackle around his leg. Aware of his master's arrival, Rahmat the Mahot went up to the elephant, reproving Roy mildly. Chhotoginni will break her chains, Huzur! The female elephant was named Chhotoginni, the younger wife. She had come as dowry for Bishwambar's mother's wedding. Her name was Muti. But the head of the family, Dhaneshwar Roy, had become besotted with Moti after their hunts together. Moti had once lifted a leopard in her trunk and crushed it to death under her feet. The excessive care lavished on Moti had led Bishwambar's mother to call the elephant her husband's second wife. Good idea, Roy Ginni, her husband had said. Let her name be Ginni too. Bishwambar Babu's mother had said, Not just Ginni, but Choto Ginni. She's your second wife. At Rahmat's appeal, Bishwambar Babu left Tufan and went up to Choto Ginni. Tufan's angry neigh was heard. Roy said to Choto Ginni, Well, Malakshmi? Choto Ginni held up her coiled trunk in front of him. This was a request to him to mount her. For Roy used to place one foot in the crook of her trunk when climbing onto her back. Caressing her trunk, Roy said, Not now, ma. Chhotoginni understood. Placing her trunk on his shoulder, she stood quietly like a docile little girl. Roy said, Take Tufan for a walk, Nitai. With great hesitation, Nethai said, Tufan won't come with me today, huzur. Now that he has seen you, unless you ride him... Roy did not respond. Continuing to caress Chotoginni's trunk, he said, You're a lovely girl. Suddenly, the silence of the dawn was shattered by a band playing unfamiliar music. Startled, Roy pushed Chotoginni's trunk away from his shoulder and asked, What's that? Netai answered softly it's the ganguli's son mukhebat his first meal out of habit roy said hmm tufan had started dancing in rhythm to the music arching his neck roy went up to him with a smile behind him the chain around chotoginni's leg also began to ring in time like anklets roy walked past the main entrance to enter the darkened palace he remembered that once upon a time tufan and Chotoginni would dance the same way every morning to the music that was played here climbing up to the first floor he called out ananta yes sir send for naib roy went up to the roof and sat down when tara prasanna appeared he said it's Mahim Ganguli's son, Annaprasan, today. Yes, sir. I presume they have sent an invitation. Tara Prasanna answered hesitantly. Uh, yes, send a guinea and a plate, a bronze plate. Tara Prasanna stood there in silence. He did not dare protest, but the idea did not meet with his approval. Roy said, take a guinea from me. The manager left. Roy sat in silence. Ananta replaced the tobacco bowl and held the pipe out to him, saying, Huzur. Roy reached for it out of habit. Then he said, Bring out the seat and cover and bells for choto Ginni. will go to the Gangolis with the present. The Roys had amassed wealth over three generations. The fourth generation had ruled the fifth and sixth squandered everything and accumulated debt during the seventh generation in Bishwambar's era the goddess of wealth was drowned in an ocean of debt like the king of the gods without his consort Bishwambar sat back and watched that was not all in its seventh generation the dynasty ran out of descendants Following the orders of the judges' court and the high court, the fortunes of the Roy family were wiped out. There was only the Privy Council's decision to wait for. Almost in defiance, rousing celebrations began at the Roy residence. Luxurious feasts and meals for the poor flowed like the tide on a full moon night. And then came the ebbing whose currents sucked out all the flow from the Roy's. Within a week, the gaiety turned to venom. There was an outbreak of cholera. In the space of just seven days, Roy's wife, both his sons, his daughter and several relatives died. Only Bishwambhar Roy survived, like the Vindhya mountains, waiting for Agastya to return, awaiting death, his head bowed forever. No, that's not correct. No one knows whether he began his vigil for death that very day, but he did not bow his head. That came two years later, the day the Privy Council announced its judgment. For even after the death of his wife and children, the lights had come on in the music room. The strains of the sitar, and the sarangi and the sound of anklets had been heard. The calm of the nights had been shattered by loud laughter. Chotoginni had been dressed to go out on hunts. Tufan had torn free of the ropes in anger and despair. Be that as it may, the judgment of the Privy Council meant that the Roys lost all their property. Only the house and the long-standing rent-free land remained. The forefathers had bound this land with ink on paper so firmly that no one could touch it. It paid for the rituals to the gods, for Chodoginni's food, for Rahmat's salary. In short, whatever had remained was thanks to this. The larder was still replenished on the first of the month. There was superb, Badshabhog rise every day. The lake on the rent-free land provided fish, and because birds flocked to the lake, they were available too. All this was in the past, but now beyond memory. Which was why this decrepit building with cracks everywhere was still called a palace, and why Bishwambhar Roy was still addressed as Huzur. This was the fuel for the Novarish Ganguli's indignation. They had erected a temple of gold behind a barren mountain, but the world had eyes only for the barren mountain and not their temple of gold. The aged elephant was held in higher regard than their expensive car. Mahim Ganguli said to himself one day, I must demolish the peak of that barren mountain. As soon as the ceremonial bells went up on chotoginni's back, she began to sway like a proud woman. The bells began to chime. Tara Prasanna appeared before Bishwambhar Babu, who was sitting in the hall. This was the only room he used now. Portraits of the men of the Roy family and their wives were hung on the walls. All of them had been painted during their advancing years. All of them were dressed in shawls bearing the goddess Kali's name with sacred Rudraksh necklaces around their necks and counting beads in their hands. Bishwambhar Babu was gazing at the portraits. When Naib entered, he turned towards Ananta slowly and said, Ananta, bring me my box. From it, He extracted the key to the iron safe and unlocked it. A small chest of money was resplendent on the top shelf. Two or three boxes lay on the shelf below. Roy pulled out one of them, an exquisitely beautiful one. This was his dead wife's jewellery case. He opened it. It was all but empty. All that remained by way of ornaments was a chain used to adorn the parting in the hair. For seven generations, it had been used to welcome the new bride home. Nothing else was left. A few gold coins lay in a compartment. Some of these were from the Ashirbad ceremony before the marriage, the ritual before the actual wedding, while the rest were the first gifts from a young bishwambar to his wife. He had received them as tribute during his tours. Taking one of them, he handed it in silence to the manager. Tara Prasanna left. The sound of choto Guinness bells became louder a little later. Roy walked over to the window. The elephant's head had been oiled, with a line of vermilion round the part of her brow smeared with oil chotogini ambled along in the afternoon the ganguli's gleaming car drew up at the dilapidated main gate of the roy residence mahim ganguli himself stepped out tara prasanna rushed out welcoming him warmly do come in ananta had observed the arrival from the first floor Going downstairs quickly, he opened the doors to the main drawing room. Mahim said, Where's Thakurda? I want to meet him. The Gangolese had always been traders in the Roy's realm. Even Mahim's father, Janardhan, used to address the head of the Roy family as Huzur. Tara Prasanna was displeased at Mahim's tone, but he kept his expression pleasant, saying, Huzoor isn't awake yet. He is taking a nap after his meal. Mahim said, Have him woken up? With a wan smile, Tara Prasanna said, None of us dares do that. You'd better give your message. I will pass it on. Mahim said impatiently, No, I must meet him personally. Ananta appeared and offered Ganguly sherbet in a silver tumbler. Accepting the glass, Mahim asked Ananta, Is Thakurda up? He is. I have informed him you are here. He is asking for you. Draining the glass, Mahim rose to his feet saying, What a lovely flavour! What's this made from? Ananta lied. The flavouring is from Kashi. I don't exactly know. Entering the room on the first floor, Mahim said, ''We didn't see you at the afternoon feast, Takurda." Vishwambhar smiled and said, ''Come in, sit down.'' Mahim said, ''I was very upset, Takurda." Smiling again, Vishwambhar said, ''Think of me as an old man and forget my misdemeanor. My body won't take it if I break my routine at this age.'' Mahim replied, I won't be upset, but you have to come tonight. Vishwambhar was silent, pretending to draw on his hookah. Mahim continued, I've got Baiji's from Lucknow coming to dance. Only you can appreciate their true worth, not any of us. Smoking in silence for a few minutes, Vishwambhar put his pipe aside. Then he said, I'm not well at all, Mahim. I have chest pain these days, which afflicts me badly at times. After a few minutes of silence, Mahim said, Very well, I shall go now, thakurda I have to go into town to fetch the sahibs. They are coming, you see. Vishwambhar only said, Don't be upset, please. Mahim left. Stopping in the veranda, he said suddenly, what a state you have allowed the house to fall into, Tagurda. It needs repairs. No one answered. Ananta only said, Goodbye, Huzur. The ground floor of the Ganguli residence was ablaze with light. There were multicolored lights all around the marquee. A generator had been set up and electric wires strung up for all the lights. The pillars were decorated with leaves and flowers. Colourful streamers hung everywhere. Thick sheets had been spread out on the lawn for the music session. There were rows of chairs on one side and mattresses and bolsters on the other for the audience. The women were seated at a distance. The place filled up by 8 p.m the tabla and the sarangi players were tuning in their instruments two dancers from the northern provinces sat down dressed in their peshwaj and urnis the hubbub died down instantly now this was beauty the performance began mahim ganguli was seated amongst the eminent guests on the chairs the older of the dancers was singing her long alap seemed to send the gathering to sleep. The audience began to murmur. The eminent listeners were having a laugh about something. The chaprasis stood behind the hoi poloi, occasionally shouting to them to be quiet. As the song was about to end, Mahim said out of politeness, Wonderful! The dancer seemed a little demoralized. Finishing her song, she sat down. Exchanging smiles with a younger dancer, she gestured to her to begin. Soon everyone absorbed in the performance. Her lively singing and dancing seemed to set a mountain stream flowing. Cries of admiration rose from the audience. The eminent listeners showered currency notes on the dancer in approval and then again, and again, and again. There was no lethargy anymore. When it ended, Mahim called the dancers and told them, Everyone's very happy. The older one said with a salaam, So generous of you. Indeed, there was no end to Mahim's generosity. Instead of the three days for which the dancers had been booked, the music sessions lasted five. On the day of their departure, he displayed even more generosity. Sending them on their way, he said, Our Raja lives here. Pay him a visit. Vishwambar Roy is a wealthy connoisseur. You may get an engagement to perform. The older one said respectfully, We have heard about him, Huzur. We will certainly visit him. I had always planned to. Tara Prasanna was furious. He had realized that this was a sly move on Mahim Ganguly's part. He was trying to humiliate Roy with a whore. Sternly, he said, Babu is not well. There will be no performance. The older Baiji said, If you could kindly... Interrupting, Tara Prasanna said, Impossible! The dancer said regretfully, my ill fortune. They were preparing to leave when a voice rang out from the first floor, Tara Prasanna. When he went upstairs, Vishwambar Babu asked, "Who are they?" Tara Prasanna answered with his eyes on the floor. They had come for the mudra at the Gangolis. Hmm. After a pause, he said, "You turned them away." Salam, Huzur. So saying, the Baiji bowed low before him. From where they had been seated, Bishwambar Roy's veranda and room were partially visible. On hearing his voice, the dancer had come up to him. Bishwambar was annoyed that she had come into his presence without being announced, but his anger did not last. The beauty of the dancers melted his heart. Bowing again, the Baiji said, ''Forgive my transgression, Maherba. We have come without warning.'' Bishwambar was gazing at her beauty, a complexion like pomegranate seeds, coal-lined eyes curving upwards, intoxicating glances, lips like rose petals, a tall figure, narrow waist, innate rhythms of dance in her body waiting for a signal to come alive. With a pleasant smile, Bishwambar said, Take a seat. Sitting down on a nearby carpet deferentially, the Baiji said, Your servant is here to sing for you at your court, Huzur." Bishwambar was about to say that he was unwell, but he felt ashamed. The idea of lying to a Tawaif seemed abhorrent. The Baiji said, I have heard everyone say "Huzur Bahadur is a connoisseur. Even Ganguly Babu said, you are the king here. The sound from Roy's pipe ceased. With a smile, he looked at the Baiji and said, We will have a majlis this evening. Then he called for Ananta. Ananta was waiting outside. When he came in, Roy said, Make arrangements for them to stay. Unlock one of the talukdars' rooms. Ananta said, Follow me. Although the Baiji could not speak Bangla, she could follow it perfectly. Rising to her feet and bowing low, she said, I am fortunate. Huzur is most gracious. She followed Ananta out of the room. Tara Prasanna had been standing by in silence. A little later, he said, they took 100 rupees a night from the Gangolis. Hmm. Drawing on his pipe, Roy said, Do you have... He began to smoke again. The question unfinished. Tara Prasanna said, The treasury has just about 150 rupees. After some thought, Roy brought the same box out of his iron safe. Taking the chain out, he handed it to Tara Prasana saying, "Write in the accounts book that this has been purchased for Anandamoy, at a cost of one hundred and fifty rupees." Anandamoy was the resident deity of the Roy family, the goddess Kali, in stone. After many years, the Roy residence resounded with the clanging of doors being unlocked. The doors and windows of the music room were opened. The padlock was removed from the room where the chandeliers were stored. Light entered the premises. Ananta was dusting the rooms. Nitai and Rahmat were helping him. The low-standing housemaid was washing the big hookahs, the large trays, the ittar bowls. Tara Prasanna was supervising everyone. Ananta said we have to send someone to the town Nayib Babu the manager said I have made a list here see if I have missed out anything listening to his recital of the items to be procured Ananta said it is all there but you have forgotten a couple of things two bottles of itar and a few vilayati bottles Tara Prasanna said there was one wasn't there a little left in it he has a drink now and then but if you want some today one bottle won't be enough Nayib Babu Tara Prasanna said but whom should I send can someone walk there and be back by the evening Ananta said hesitantly let Netai take Tufan then Netai said without Huzoor's instructions Tara Prasanna said very well I'll tell him Vishwambhar Babu was lying on his bed. When Tara Prasanna appeared, he said, I was about to send for you. Go over to the Gangolis and invite Mahim. We have to handpick guests from the village. You must go yourself to the Gangolis. Tara Prasanna said, I shall. Roy said, Ask for Chhoto Ginni to be saddled. After a pause, the administrator said, Netai ha- needs to take Tufan to the town. Hmm. A little later, he said. Let him then. Sometime later, he opened the window on hearing Tufan neigh outside. The back window offered a clear view of the path leading to the house, enveloped in the shadows of the deodar trees. The sound of hoofbeats rang along it. Roy saw Tufan galloping along, his neck arched as spirited as always. And then after some time, the bells on Choto Ginni began to ring. Bishwambhar Roy sat up. Through the window, he saw the elephant walking along proudly. Leaving his bed, he began to pace up and down. His body and mind were both restless. Celebrations! After a long time, there were celebrations in the Roy residence. A tinkling sound emerged from the other side, probably from the music room. The sound of Belgian glass chandeliers. Roy went out into the veranda. Ananta was putting the chandeliers up on the hooks. On hearing footsteps, he turned towards the door and found Vishwambar Roy standing there. He was gazing at the paintings on the walls. Portraits of various members of the Roy family in their youth were hung on the wall, running all around the enormous hall. From the founder bhubaneswar Roy to him, all the portraits were of people immersed in various poses of indulgence and sportsmanship. His great-grandfather Ravaneshwar Roy stood with a foot planted on a tiger he had hunted with a spear in his hand and a shield strapped across his back. His father, Dhaneshwar, was seated on a cushion with chotoginni by his side. A young Vishwambar was astride Tufan. The Roy family had lived out a storm in this room. Memories came flooding back to him. The indomitable Ravaneshwar was the first of the profilgates' sons in the family. It was he who had had this music room made, but had not dared to enjoy its pleasures. On the first day that he had organized a concert in this room, his wife and children had all died. The candles had been snuffed out in the candle stands when only half used he hadn't had the courage to unlock the door again. Perhaps it would have been best for the Roy's to have been wiped out forever that same day. But with the approval of his family, Ravaneshwar had married his sister-in-law, claiming that such was the order of the deity Anandamoy. It was his son Tarekveshwar who had again had the doors to the music room opened and the chandeliers lit. In a single night he had, in competition with a wealthy friend, showered five hundred gold coins on a baiji. Roy recalled Chandrabai. Away from his friends, the hours he had stolen with Chandra after the performance were etched forever in his heart. She was like a bouquet of flowers. Ananta had stopped working. As he gazed at his master, his hands refused to move. Roy's sombre face was red, as though a vein through which blood coursed upwards had burst, spraying its contents on his face. Ananta brought sherbet in a silver tumbler on a tray and presented it in silence to Roy before sundown. Roy gazed at him, dressed in a zari-embossed uniform with a kamarband round his waist and a turban on his head, the family insignia resplendent on his breast. He took the tumbler in silence. Ananta left, returning a little later carrying a crinkled dhoti, a thin white kurta in the Muslim style and a silk shawl. Roy recognized the outfit as the one made for him five years ago when he had visited a Zamindar friend in Murshidabad. He asked, Is everything all right? Ananta said softly, The lights are being turned on, Huzur. The guests? Ananta said, The Bandaris, father and son, from Nakharzada have arrived. Four of their sentries have come too. They are at the gate. The horn of a motor car was then heard. Ananta rushed downstairs. Mahim Ganguli had arrived. Footsteps were heard on the stairs. Warm, welcoming words to guests and polite conversations were audible downstairs. The music room was waking up to the soft strains of music. The tabla could be heard too. They were tuning up. Ananta appeared at the door saying, "Huzur." Bishwambar had changed his clothes and was pacing around the room. He responded, Hmm, the session cannot start. Hmm. Moments later, Bishwambar said, Bring me my shoes. Hesitating, Ananta opened the drawer of the corner table and took out a bottle of scotch and a glass. Putting them on a table, he extracted the shoes and dusted them. Roy paused for a moment before resuming his pacing. Downstairs, the music grew louder. Ananta said, Huzoor? Roy only murmured, Hmm. He walked around the room a few more times. A bit faster now. Ananta stood waiting. Walking up to the table, Roy said, Soda Mattresses covered with sheets had been laid out in long rows against three walls of the enormous hall. Bolsters were piled behind them. Three Belgian chandeliers dangling from the ceiling were lit up. The flames of the lamps placed in niches on the wall trembled occasionally in the breeze. A few of the lights in the chandelier and some of the lamps had gone out. Short-lived but long shadows were being cast on the walls in places, like hidden sorrows. The music had begun, but the pace was still slow. The resonance of the instruments were beginning to grow. Thirty or forty gentlemen were seated all around, conversing softly. Four or five hookahs were being used, the two Tavaivs were seated in silence. Only Mahim Ganguli could be heard from time to time. Drawing on his cigarette, he pointed upwards, saying, Some of the lights have gone out. No one answered. He said loudly, nayab Babu. When Tara Prasanna appeared at the door, he continued, The lights are not bright enough. Tell my driver to fetch a couple of Petromax lanterns. Tara Prasanna was silent. Only the older of the dancers said, almost to herself, Do those lights befit this room? At the sound of heavy footsteps outside, Tara Prasanna looked over his shoulder and stepped away respectfully. Moments later, Bishwambhar Roy appeared at the door. The two Baijis rose to their feet reverentially everyone else at the majlis rose too. Mahim also half rose automatically before suddenly resuming his seat. Smiling, Roy said, pardon me for being late. Then he took his seat. Mahim pushed away the bolster he was reclining against, dusting it with his handkerchief and muttering in irritation. How filthy it is! Tara Prasanna distributed the itar. Changing the tobacco bowls on all the hookahs, Ananta placed Roy's personal hookah before him and handed him the pipe. The older Baiji rose and bowed. The music began. The same long and slow alap. But there was a difference tonight. The gathering was silent. Roy sat there in a dignified manner, his eyes closed. His gigantic frame swayed in time to the slow rhythm of the music. After a while, his left hand reached out and stroked the bolster by his side lightly. The tabla kept time with the singing. Roy opened his eyes to discover the dancers' anklets responding. The performance started the dance of a peacock urgently fanning its tail upon seeing clouds in the sky. Her neck was bent slightly. Her hands held the two ends of her peshvach. She danced in step like the bird, her anklets ringing. Roy exclaimed, superb! At once, the dancing feet stopped. The tabla sounded a finishing note. Sidling up to Roy, Mahim said, Thakurda, this is no good. My throat is parched. Bai has turned us cold. Bai smiled faintly. Possibly she had understood. Ananta offered Mahim some shorbat. Mahim said, Never mind. Staying up nights has given me a cold. Roy gestured to Ananta with a smile. Ananta left and returned with whiskey, soda and glasses on a large tray. Preparing the drink, Ananta offered a glass to Mahim and then looked at the gathering with the second glass in his hand. Everyone looked at the floor. Differentially, he approached Bishwambar Babu, who accepted the glass. Mahim had been eyeing the younger Baiji for a long time. Now, shifting a little, he said, Piera bhai, can you light a fire now? Peri began to sing. A quick rhythm. Roy had closed his eyes. He only parted them slightly to say, slower. But out of sheer habit, Perry used her lively dancing and vigorous singing to spread a wave of airy excitement across the music room. Roy was frowning. Mahim's unbecoming excitement had disturbed him and yet his body was swaying like a cobra to the snake charmer's tune. The flow of blood in his veins, true to the blood of the Roys, had quickened. Peri was dancing like a multi-hued butterfly. Roy was reminded of Zora of Lucknow. Krishnabai resembled Chandrabai of Delhi. Chandrabai, who had been a fond chapter in his life. Roy's memories came flooding back. His thoughts were interrupted by the ringing of coins. Mahim gave Puri some money. He had broken the rule. The host had the first right to offer an inam. Roy looked around in a flash. Nothing. No silver salver before him. No receptacle of coins. He remained sitting, his eyes on the floor. Krishnabai had begun singing now. Like a wave, her song swept from one end of the gathering to the other. Its quickened rhythms struck at the hearts of the listeners. She was singing. Keshava is playing his flute. An overflowing Yamuna is back in high tide, battering the banks with its waves. It is trying to draw Krishna to its breast. The exuberance of the dancing and the singing was exquisite. Roy had forgotten everything else. The music ended. Roy exclaimed, Beautiful Chandra! With a salam, Krishnabai said, Your servant's name is Krishnabai. Mahim called out, Here's something for you, Krishnabai. Roy rose to his feet. He walked slowly out of the room. The sound of his footsteps disappeared along the length of the veranda. Mahim said, One more from you Pirbhai. Krishna Bhai said, Let Huzur Bahadur return. Mahim said, He'll be back soon. It doesn't matter. There's that's probably him. Not Roy. It was Tara Prasanna who entered. He placed a silver bowl in the middle of the room. In it were two gold coins. Tara Prasanna said, Inam from Babu. An impatient Mahim asked, Where is he? He has a pain in his chest. He cannot return. Please carry on. He has asked me to apologize on his behalf. A quiet murmur rose against the gathering. Rising to his feet, Mahim stretched disdainfully and said, ''Ah, it's time I left, Tara Prasanna. The Sahib will be here tomorrow.'' Tara Prasanna did not object. The rest of the guests got up too. The session ended. Roy's wife's jewellery box was open on the floor. It was empty. Roy was pacing about the room, paying no heed to anything. His head held high. The prestige of the Roys was intact. Pride and the effect of alcohol was making his blood tingle. Time and place had become confused in his mind. He left the room absently, attracted by the glow of lights in the music room. When he entered it, he saw that it was empty. Only the descendants of the Roy family were awake on the walls. Vishwambar looked out through the open window. The world was flooded with moonlight. The spring breeze was redolent with the fragrance of the muchkunda flowers. Somewhere on a tree, a brain-fever bird repeated indefatigably, "piu kaha, piu kaha. Music stirred in Roy's heart. Behag, sung by Chandra in a forgotten time. The moon rode high in the sky. He turned around at the sound of footsteps. Ananta was preparing to put out the lights. Roy stopped him, saying, Not yet. Ananta made to leave. Roy said, Bring me my Esraj. Ananta fetched the instrument. Sitting down with it at the window, Roy said, Pour. He pointed to the uncorked bottle on the tray. Ananta poured him a drink and left. The bow ran across the strings. Melody arose in the silent palace. Roy was playing the Esraj, rapt. Was the Esraj speaking? The softly spoken words could be heard clearly. The lyrics rang in Roy's ears. The hapless woman at midnight, the venomous guard at the door. I cannot sleep, in pretend slumber, I think of you. Why did you have to play the flute right now, my love? Pushing his Esraj away, Rose Roy to his feet. Softly he called, Chandra, Chandra, his Chandra. This song was Chandra's too. Someone called sweetly outside, Janab. Roy looked in that direction eagerly, Chandra. Chandra, come here. Everyone has left, Chandra. Appearing with a shy smile, Krishnabai bowed and tenderly completed the song that Roy was playing on the Esraj. Why did you have to play the flute right now, my love? Laughing, Roy lowered his baritone as much as he could and joined in. My love, on nights such as this, with the ecstasy of victory in my heart, how can I be alone? Roy picked up his whiskey bottle. Stretching out her arm, Krishnabai said, If Janab so desires, his mead will serve him. Roy relinquished the bottle with a smile. Krishnabai poured and handed the drink to him. The Esraj began to play again. Krishnabai began to sing along softly, and she danced. She sang, ''I do not make garlands of fallen flowers, my love. Give me the flowers from the highest branch. Hold me up. I will choose them myself for you.'' She was dancing with her arms stretched out, her face upturned. Dropping his esraj, Roy lifted her in the air, clasping her legs and made her move to the rhythm of her song. The song ended. Krishna shrieked, pretending to fall. The next moment, she slid down to the floor. A drunken Roy called out adoringly, Chandra, Chanda, priyari The songs flowed, as did the whiskey. One bottle was empty. The second was about to be empty, too. A little later, the Baiji's inert body slumped on the sheet. Bishwambar still sat upright. He smiled at the Baiji's condition. Placing her head with great care on a bolster, he helped her lie down comfortably. Then he began to play the Esraj again. The Ganguly's clock rang thrice. The pigeons began to murmur in the arches. Roy was shaken out of his spell. This was the sound he awoke to every day. He got to his feet. He caressed the sleeping Krishna by just once. Chandra? Chandra? Pyari? Then he left the room and called, Ananta? Ananta was on the roof, unrolling the carpet for his master. When he came downstairs, Roy said, ''Bring me my turban and my riding clothes. Tell Netai to saddle up Tufan at once.'' Ananta stared at his master in astonishment. Roy was stroking his moustache. This figure was not unfamiliar to him, but he had not encountered it in a long time. ''Softly,'' he said, ''Wash your hands, Huzur.'' A little later... Tufan's elated neighing resounded in the final hours of the night. Tara Prasanna woke up. Through the window, he saw Bishwambar Roy, a Tufan, dressed in riding breeches and a long coat and a white turban on his head. Although Tara Prasanna couldn't see clearly in the darkness, he imagined the aristocratic Nagra shoes and the brushed whip. Tufan cantered away. Crossing one field after another, Tufan galloped, raising a cloud of dust. The cool wind at the break of dawn fell on Roy's heated brow. His intoxication was leaving him. A village was situated at the far end of the expanse of land. Its name was Kusumdihi. A cart piled high with vegetables was passing, with two occupants, possibly on their way to the market. He overheard a snatch of conversation. Ever since Ganguli Babu has bought... Uh... Roy pulled on the reins sharply to stop Tufan. The, the man in the cart was continuing. There's nothing left over after taxes. We were happy when the Roys ruled here. Looking around him, Roy was startled. Where was he? Gradually, he found his bearings. Kirtihat lay ahead of him. Straightening up, he loosened the reins and whipped Tufan. And again, Tufan galloped furiously onwards. Returning to his stable, Roy saw that the eastern sky had lightened. But the night was yet to depart. Roy called out, Nithai! He was panting. He felt Tufan trembling uncontrollably. Roy dismounted. Tufan's mouth was lacerated by the veins. His jaws were bloodied. Exhausted, he was shaking. Stroking his head, Roy said, My son. Tufan could not raise his head. The effects of alcohol had not left Roy entirely yet. He said, It's a mistake, my son, yours as well as mine. Don't be ashamed, Tufan. Straighten your head. Netai was standing behind him. He said, He's exhausted. He will look up as soon as he has cooled down. Roy handed the horse over to Netai and strode into the house. On the first floor, he found the doors of the music room still open. Peeping in, he found it was empty. The women who had come for the tryst had left. Empty bottles of whiskey were lying on the floor. The lights of the chandeliers and the wall lamps had not gone out yet. Members of the Roy family were arrayed arrogantly on the wall. Smiles of infatuation on their faces. Roy stepped back in fear. Suddenly he felt he was looking at himself in the mirror. The same desire had manifested itself in him. Not just his own, but the desires of seven generations of Roy's were gathered in this room. He turned back from the door. Leaning on the railing, he cried out like a man struck by fear. Ananta! Ananta! Ananta ran up to him. He had never heard his master speak this way. Roy told him, Put out the lights! Put out the lights! Lock the music room! The the music room! His voice could no longer be heard. Only the whip slipped out of his hand to strike the door of the music room with a sharp sound.